Good morning, Twitter. I am David Mack. She is Stephanie McNeil, and you are watching AM to DM. Welcome. Thank you. It's Tuesday morning. Well, I was welcoming them, but also you. Oh, I thought you were welcoming me. Well, this is your show as much as it is mine today because Isaac and Saeed aren't here, so we're going to have some fun. Oh, okay. Where well, are they? thank you for welcoming me to my own show. Thank you. You're welcome. Where are they? Uh, they are in Portland, Oregon. <gasps> what, where... they, what does one do in Portland, Oregon? They dream of the 90s. <laughs> they wear Birkenstocks. That sounds right. They eat voodoo donuts. And that's what they're they doing. They stare at the mountains. Yes. So if anyone's watching from Portland, Oregon, please tweet us and let us know if I've thoroughly offended you. I have some friends who are from Oregon. I so imagine Maybe they're have. watching and they're offended. I imagine you have. Uh, but they're having <laughs> fun. Uh, so good luck to them. But we're here, as we said, all week having fun in their place. Yeah. So, you know. We're taking over the show. It is. We are taking over. It's going to be a great show. Speaking of which, Estelle is here. Mm -hmm. Estelle. Very exciting. Oh very God. exciting. Yeah, exactly. We're getting all the good people this week. We are, and they get no one, so enjoy. <laughs> but the VMAs were last night, Speaking obviously. of music, yes. Speaking of music, they were right here in New York City at Radio City Music Hall. Ira, you tweeted this about the much-anticipated Aretha Franklin tribute. Madonna making Aretha's tribute about herself is honestly an inspiration to Leo's <laughs> everywhere. Super funny. And Katie Nolan, you tweeted, does Madonna know Madonna didn't die? Okay, David, break this down for me. What happened? So, okay, you know, Aretha Franklin, we lost her last week. Of course, the VMAs were coming up. Everyone was wondering how they were going to pay tribute to her with all these incredible singers and stars uh, at the show. And what they did was they sent out Madonna, but rather than have Madonna sing, she gave a little speech, and it wasn't a speech really about Aretha. It was a speech about how Madonna used one sang a song of Aretha's and it impressed some people, and how essentially Madonna's a pretty cool person. So, I mean, I feel like that's a very me thing to do, to go out there and make something all about yourself. But, that is uh, such a David Mack move. Thank you. Uh, but look, she, I will say, Aretha did die on Madonna's birthday the other day, and people were saying Aretha stole Madonna's 60th birthday line. She was, like, taking revenge? I don't know. It, well, there was a lot of funny takes about this, because this was very bizarre. It felt like they missed a huge opportunity to pay tribute to her properly. Uh, and so I think Madonna might have missed the mark. It's kind of a YouTuber moment, like make an SEO headline, like Aretha Franklin tribute, and then it's like one photo of Aretha, and then just like <laughs> you. you get conned into someone talking for two minutes. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, uh, in other news from the VMAs, J Lo was presented with the biggest honor of the night, the Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award. That's a mouthful, and gave a killer performance to go along with it. Matt Blakemore, you tweeted, putting my out of office on because I'm 100% just gonna sit here and re-watch J-Lo's VMA performance all day, legends only. And that doesn't include you, Janet, from HR. I am fucking busy. Poor Janet. Wow. Yeah, poor Janet. <laughs> Janet really gets ragged on lately. That name it's is It's kind done, of a Twitter man. thing. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I enjoyed J-Lo getting this award. Mm -hmm. You know, she's kind of an icon from our era, do I guess. Do you have a favorite J-Lo video? I do. I, I've been thinking about this, and I have a very distinct memory of being, sitting in sixth grade, just, like, shoveling, like, cupcakes into my mouth, mm -hmm. watching, like, J-Lo writhing on the beach in a bikini for her Love Don't Cost a Thing video. Yep. And then she had that, like, cool dance break with her soon-to-be ex-husband. I think his name's Chris Judd. <laughs> in the background. Remember um, Jenny so from good. The Block, though, and how she, like, took the paparazzi narrative about her and Ben and, like, incorporated that into the whole video? And it was kind of this, like, artistic response to everything. Uh, you know, I What I've like been thinking about when Ariana came out with the album yep. and I stand, I love Ariana, but it had a song called Pete Davidson. Yep. All I could think was how J-Lo on her album when she was dating Ben Affleck had a song called Dear Ben. Right. And it was really bad. They broke up like right after. So they were the revolutionaries. They Thank were you. the first. You guys oh. think like, oh, you know, whatever they're called, Gen Xers. What are they called? Gen Z? No, John, Gen X, Gen Z. <laughs> they think they're like super cool, whatever, with their Pete and Ariana. You know, respect the OG. You sound very old, sorry. But anyway, moving on. I know, I know, it's so sad. <laughs> well, a lot went down last night, but perhaps the biggest surprise of all was Michael Avenetti's appearance. Hugh McIntyre, you tweeted, the lawyer representing Stormy Daniels, Michael Avenetti, is walking the VMA's red carpet because everything is just entertainment now, so who cares? But as Crooked Media's Tim Miller said, Monday hot take, blue checks are making fun of Avenatti because he's doing exactly what Kamala Harris et al. should be doing, and deep down, they know it. I mean, okay, look. I feel like Michael Avenatti, like, I have been turned up at things where people are like, what are you doing here? <laughs> so, you know, but it was very weird to see Stormy Daniels' lawyer just hanging out at the VMAs. 
First of all, I love making fun of media Twitter. I love calling <laughs> media Twitter swarmy people blue checks. I think that's oh hilarious. Look in the mirror. I mean, I'm a reluctant blue check. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't really hate Michael Avenatti for doing this. I think, I don't know if I would do this, but some people, if they were invited to the VMAs, they would just go. Like, he's not harming anyone. It's kind of like... I don't know, if you get invited to something cool like that, yeah. why not just go? I mean, I do take Tim's point as well that, like, these are events that you can build a national profile for yourself. And in the age of Trump, you know, everything is political and everything is a media opportunity. And so there are people like Kamala Harris who probably do need to build a bigger media profile of themselves outside of DC. Uh, and this would be a great place to do it if you were trying to reach teenagers, maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, teenagers are probably watching the VMAs. I don't know. I don't know if the VMAs are cool anymore. But I mean, if they are and you're, say, Kamala Harris, might as well go. And then at least people know who your name are. I don't know. I don't have a problem. Well, there you go. Twitter, we want to know what were your favorite and least favorite favorite moments from last night's VMAs. Tweet us using the hashtag Avenatti for president. No, AM to DM, sorry, that was a mix up there. Do you have a least favorite, favorite moment from the VMAs? My favorite moment from last night's VMAs was in 2013 when Miley Cyrus <laughs> Grinded on Ramen Thick. I don't really know why they didn't cancel the award show after, after that. that. That was also on that my birthday. It. it was a birthday present to myself. Okay, well, I'm going to go off for a second because I watched Camila Cabello's Havana video this morning, and that was the one that won video of the year last night. Look, it's a great video. It's very entertaining. It is not apeshit, and it is not This Is America, two videos which I think everyone was talking about for weeks after they came out. So that's just my two cents. Uh, but now I'm going to have Camila Cabello stands after me all day today, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, are you going to run up on the stage Kanye style? Let's Steal see. it from her Let's hands? See. Let's see. <laughs> well, the biggest thing on my timeline right now is this tweet from UNC Chapel Hill student newspaper, The Daily Tar Heel. Love student journalists. They tweeted, Silent Sam is down. Last night, student protesters toppled a 105-year-old statue that memorialized UNC students who fought for the Confederacy. Now, many alumni of the school are praising the current students for taking action. Amanda Ulrich, you tweeted, UNC's administration failed time and time again to appropriately remove and contextualize Silent Sad. I'm glad to see the students and faculty of my alma mater fiercely rejecting white supremacy on our campus. This is long overdue. Now, UNC responded to the events on its official Twitter page, saying in part, the monument was divisive for years, but called the protest unlawful and dangerous. Maya Ward, an editor at the Daily Tar Heel, joins us now from UNC's campus to talk about this historic protest. Maya, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Of course, thank you for having me. So what were the events that led to the protest last night? For us here in New York, it kind of just sparked last night out of nowhere. But what was leading up to it? Yeah, I mean, it definitely didn't just come out of nowhere. This is, you know, this has been going on for years. Um, definitely last year, we um, have had extensive coverage on protests. Um, we had a first day of class protests about a year ago today. Um, we had sit-ins throughout the year. Um, the protesters started um, organizing, getting a lot of steam on Twitter as well. Um, and this past spring, actually, um, one of the grad students, Maya Little, she protested the monument by painting it with her own blood and red paint. And that was a big part of last night's protest. She was kind of, kind of the face um, of the protest and started out last night with a speech. Can you tell um, us, uh, Maya, for those of us who don't know anything about the statue, can you tell us who it's of and give us a little context of why students there are uh, against it? Yeah, so it is memorializing um, UNC students that fought in the Confederacy. Um, students are against it because they feel that it is a representation of slavery and that its presence on campus is... Um, a symbol that is against people of color and a symbol of racism. So a lot of people um, are very vocal about that and have been through sit-in throughout the year and the protests. So was it the protesters' plan to topple the statue or was it something that just kind of happened? So we reached out to organizers beforehand. We did not get a read on exactly what this protest was going to be. Um, at the beginning where it began at the Peace and Justice Plaza, um, the speeches were very peaceful. They did call for removal of the statue, but that has been a common um, theme throughout the past year. So 
there was no mention of forced removal early in the night. So the fact that it actually did happen, I think, was a big surprise to even people that attended the protests. Now, you were there, and I'm wondering, can you give us a sense of what the mood was, what the atmosphere was? And I understand it's the first day of class, and what's the atmosphere like this morning? Yeah, so I have not been to my first class yet, so I'm very interested to see um, what that's going to be like. Um, but it was definitely, you know, the feeling. I covered the protests as well last year, and it was a very different, um, both had very high energy. Um, but this year was a lot more organized. Um, they had they had the big banners, I'm sure, as you've seen. Um, and there was just a sense of a common theme they kept repeating was solidarity. Um, and as they moved from the Peace and Justice Plaza to the monument, that energy started to rise and you kind of see the tension building between the protesters and the police. Um, they didn't have protection around the monument like they did last year. They had a gate last year that was guarding it off. So as the protesters um, approached the police, it kind of started feeling like last year um, in a sense of it was last year was a little messy and chaotic. And I kind of thought that it was about to take a turn that way. Um, one demonstrator started throwing these smoke bombs and police and protesters kind of met. And I thought that it was about to get violent. Then it seemed to kind of begin to fizzle out um, after about two hours. And the energy was still high, but some people kind of were beginning to disperse and we went back to the newsroom to start getting on our um, story and writing about the protests when we got a call that the monument was down and we sprinted over, we're about two minutes away. And um, I mean, the energy had completely flicked. It was pure excitement. People were cheering and celebrating and um, yeah. Wow, incredibly vivid scenes there. I want to bring up this tweet from Christina Reynolds. Uh, she said, to national reporters who might cover Silent Sam, the Confederate monument at UNC coming down, please make sure you tell the whole story, particularly the racist dedication speech. This statue was not about history, it was about racism. So my, I understand there's obviously some uh, particular his, uh, historical speeches that were given when this statue was dedicated. What can you tell us about that and how they, those have played into the protests? Yeah, so organizers have been encouraging people to read the speech um, that came at the opening of the monument. I know it mentions the beating of a black woman until I believe it says her clothes are in tatters. And so um, student organizers have been encouraging people to read the history behind the monument. So what is the mood like on campus now? We mentioned earlier that it is the first day of classes, which is a chaotic kind of moment for students anyway. Uh, do you think there's gonna be more protests today or what do you think is gonna happen? I don't think there will be more protests today. Um, I don't think this is over. You know, the university has spent nearly $400,000 in terms of safety costs for protecting the monument. So, you know, we don't know what their next steps are gonna be. I also don't think that the organizers are done here because I, you know, their mission isn't just regarding Silent Sam. They have other um, things that they want to focus on on campus. Um, I know one group this week has a um, meeting planned for students about, I think it's UNC, what they don't want you to know about the university. Um, so I don't think their efforts are done here. And as far as the energy on campus, you know, based on, I'm about to head over there now, but based on Twitter, there's a mix of excitement and did this actually happen? And I think a lot of people are just shocked and, you know, some are ecstatic, some are, um, I saw an alum tweeted this morning that they shouldn't have taken it down. So it's, you know, there are some different perspectives, but overall I'd say the energy is very high on campus. Well, thank you so much, Maya, for speaking to us and we'll look forward to seeing more good reporting from the Daily Tar Heel. Thank you. Yeah, we love student journalists. I love student journalists so uh, much. I was one myself. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> there you go. Stay tuned because coming up next, we're talking to Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse about the battle to nominate Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. But first, it's Fire Tweets. Well, we're 
we're reminiscing about our, our college journalism days, right? After yeah, good times, good times. There. And our producer's like, nothing ever that exciting happened at my college, and I feel the same. I mean, these but these guys are out there breaking news all night long. I know, I think we got to cover just like minor, minor controversies yeah. on campus, but nothing that exciting. And they're doing a great job. Amen. I was really impressed by their reporting. Amen. So keep up the good work, good Daily work. Tar Heel. Let's do some fire tweets, here we go. First tweet, brunette bohemian. I just want to be the person that always has a pen when someone asks for one. Pen people have their shit together. I couldn't agree with more with that. Those are life goals right there. I'm going to confess something. I love being the person downstairs in our office who has a stamp. Oh, you Every, always have a stamp. I always have a stamp oh, and I always feel like stamp I do have a stamp. Okay. You're welcome. <laughs> Trish, fuck your zodiac sign. Were you a Greek mythology kid or an Egyptian mythology kid? Why not both? <laughs> You're the why not both girl, trying to bridge why the divide. I, yeah. think I, I think I was Egyptian, I think it's fair to say. All right, here we go. Grumpy pop baby. Pretty unfair that everyone can take a break from me, except for me. Why oh. would anyone ever want to take a break from a grumpy pop baby? <laughs> I mean, I relate to that tweet sometimes. <laughs> right. Okay. West Cone. Changing your bed sheets is a high risk commitment because from the second you take the old ones out, you enter an almost unwinnable race against your executive dysfunction and any miscalculations will result in sleeping on a bare ass mattress for a whole week. I must say that is one downside of moving in with a significant other is you can't just sleep on your mattress. Yeah, you always true. have to like make the bed for appearances sake. When I just like lived by myself or with like roommates or whatever, I would sleep on my mattress for like three days. <laughs> Gosh. So you got your stamps in order, but your bed's a bloody mess. All right, here we go. Tweet of the day, here we go. Dave Holmes. Nothing is ever as funny as the next table over at the restaurant thinks it is. There's some hard truth there from someone who used to work in hospitality. There you go. <laughs> yeah, everyone's just playing a playing a game and we're all just party to Screaming it. Screaming at each the other. The grass is always greener on the other side. Yes, it is. That's some wise words from me. <laughs> right there. Good one. <laughs> well, up next we're talking to Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're going live from the district with Rhode Island Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. Good morning, Senator. Good morning. Uh, Senator, I, this is a rare opportunity for me to interview because one thing I've always wanted to ask you, it's incredibly, incredibly stupid, but do you think you can never be president because your surname is Whitehouse? <laughs> uh, that is not on the program. Okay, so it has a, you don't have to worry about that is what you're saying. <laughs> we had to do it. We had to do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. We you tweeted this, Senator. As the Senate Judiciary steams toward early September hearings for Kavanaugh, I wrote a letter to Chairman Chuck Grassley urging him to use all the tools available to the committee to provide the most complete picture of Kavanaugh's record. So you're scheduled to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Kavanaugh. Is this just for show? On what planet would you actually vote for this guy? Give it to me straight. Well, I just want to hear from him first. I have the opportunity as a member of the Judiciary Committee to have this one-on-one -on -one meeting, and I want to take that opportunity. And then, of course, as a member of the committee, I also have the opportunity to ask questions and to uh, engage with him in the hearing process. So this is part of the standard uh, process of review. So certainly it's a standard process, but realistically, there's no chance that the Democrats are going to support him, correct? Well, I couldn't say that yet. I wouldn't want to prejudge uh, my colleagues, and I haven't made any announcement myself yet. Okay, fair enough. Here's a tweet from the New York Times. Brett Kavanaugh urged investigators to ask Bill Clinton graphic questions about his affair with Monica Lewinsky, according to a newly released memo. And Senator, I'm going to quote here from some of this stuff because I think uh, the people deserve to hear the questions that uh, Mr. Kavanaugh drafted. He asked questions about whether President Clinton had had phone sex with Monica Lewinsky, whether he had, quote, ejaculated into her mouth, and whether he, quote, had masturbated into a trash can these questions are certainly graphic, Senator, but also, weren't they also appropriate given the president had been lying? Um, 
I don't think these are, are uh, very good questions. They were particularly uh, phrased in a way that many judges find objectionable, objectionable uh, both on the grounds that they are argumentative and with respect to the question of whether or not Ms. Lewinsky was lying requires him to have a uh, view on her state of mind. So the so was this person lying question is one that is often found objectionable. I think it turns up a lot in uh, TV litigation, but uh, I think experienced litigators tend to shy away from that question for those obvious reasons. But wouldn't you want someone on the special counsel's inquiry to be just as detailed and aggressive if they were to question President Trump? Well, again, being aggressive and detailed is one thing, trying to get into the um, thoughts, the conclusions, the state of mind of a different witness is usually, I think, a poor uh, question. So I think being aggressive and detailed is what lawyers are supposed to do, but I do think that the questions that uh, Kavanaugh proposed were kind of amateurish and showboating uh, questions and uh, certainly inconsistent with his later views about the uh, presidency itself and how the presidency should be protected from either tough questions or from investigation or from indictment or from uh, any type of legal uh, accountability. All right, well, Kavanaugh's position on Roe versus Wade will clearly be a focal point, a big issue in his confirmation, but is it difficult to get Democratic voters to care as much about preserving Roe as it is for Republican voters to be energized by, by overturning it? What do you think? Well, perhaps. I think the real issue here, the one I continue to focus on, is that the big Republican special interests have an enormous role in this whole selection uh, process. From the list that Kavanaugh came off of being created by a front group that takes its money from big Republican interests to big Republican dark money interests running a campaign for his nomination with advertisements that we don't know who funded. Uh, and then once somebody's on the court, they continue to play through these uh, amicus curiae, they call them friends of the court, uh, where they come in with briefs and uh, try to instruct the Republican justices in what they want them to do. And I think that whole process of special interest engagement behind the scenes and often hidden is something that the American people need to have a good look at before they let a judge on the court. Uh, Senator, after the midterms, it's likely that the Democrats are going to have a caucus there that ranges from uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the far left to Connor Lamb on the right. And I'm wondering, with such a big divide there, how do you expect to get anything done as a party? Isn't this just going to be the Democratic version of the Tea Party schism that plagued the Republicans? Uh, I would expect not. I think that if we were to take back the House uh, and or even take back the Senate, we would need to get to work to pass legislation that the American people really want and pull together and not only uh, do the things that Democrats agree on, but do the things that can pull some Republicans along with us and that the American public wants in huge numbers uh, for us to do. Things like infrastructure and student loans and getting the corrupting dark money out of politics. Certainly, but on the, all, all those issues, you can't please both uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Connor Lamb, can you? So who, who has to leave disappointed there? Oh, I suspect, I suspect that there are a lot of these issues where uh, both of those uh, House members would agree. I think that doing something about student loans, for instance, is, is something that we agree with across the board. I think infrastructure is something we agree with across the board. I think you could make huge improvements to make the tax system fairer so that the top 001% uh, isn't paying lower tax rates than nurses are. I think that there's a lot where we do agree, and I think it's important for us if uh, we do get some foothold on uh, power here in Washington, that we focus on those things and start getting things done. The fight between the different sides of the party is obviously going to be of interest, but if that drives our behavior, 
then we will have failed. And I think there's a huge lane of work where we all agree and where the American public wants us to act and where we can be productive and serve the general public interest. You were one of several senators who called for Al Franken to resign back in December, but we've seen Kirsten Gillibrand has been getting nearly all of the heat for this. Do you believe she deserves this scrutiny just because she was the first? That's going to be between her and the people who uh, feel that way. Um, I think that uh, this was a very tough uh, result for Al, but he did make his own choice. And... Um, I, you know, leave that to, to him to have made. But do you think that she's getting more scrutiny just because she's a woman? I couldn't, I couldn't tell you that. Fair enough. Uh, how, how do you believe, though, uh, with the year ahead and as we head into 2020, the Democrats should respond to uh, the president's attacks? I'm wondering, do you think uh, a good strategy is to sort of match fire with fire, or do they go the kind of Michelle Obama approach and try to go high when he goes low? Well, I think the uh, best way is to actually put facts before the uh, American public. Unfortunately, there is kind of a, a zone of spinal evaporation uh, around Trump in the Republican Party, with the result that a purely Republican-controlled Congress has catastrophically failed at its oversight responsibilities. I think if we do get gavels and have the ability to ask questions and call witnesses and require documents to be produced, we can do good, solid investigative work that brings the American people along with us and exposes how much corruption there is in the Trump administration. If we simply do name calling, I don't think that's successful. I think we need to use the tools that the American public will have given us to lay out the factual case as to what is going on in this administration. Senator, we're going to ask you a question that we've asked all the members of Congress that we've been speaking to. Do you think that Putin has something on President Trump? His behavior suggests that Putin does. Uh, obviously, that is the key focus, I think, of the Mueller investigation. Is it, is um, it, sir, is it, is it the, the P-tape? Do you believe that that's what he has on him? It's hard to tell. There may be a tape out there. There may also be just business dealings. The important question that we have got no answer to so far is what are the business agreements between Russian oligarchs, Russian banks, Russian interests, and the Trump operation? That ought to be a gimme of a question. Just tell us what business you are doing with the Russians. What loans do they have? What investments do they have? That is something that so far a Republican-controlled Congress has refused to even ask about. And it's astonishing that a potential business conflict of interest like that with the President of the United States has not been explored. Well, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. More AM to DM is up next. That was interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'm Sean Paul Fallins, and this is The Sit Down. I'm here with Grammy award-winning singer and songwriter Estelle. Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? Pretty good. Yeah, so did you get a chance to check out the VMAs last night? I got to see some of it. Oh, awesome. What was your favorite performance? Oh, my goodness. You know, I think Nikki did really well. Oh, yeah. I she did really, really good. That was one of my favorites. J-Lo did her thing. You know, yeah. It's a fun time. I saw on Instagram you posted Panic at the Disco. Oh, my goodness. I love Panic at the Disco. I'm like a long-time fan. And I just love that he can sing live and jump around and run up and down. And he's been doing this for a long time. I know. And yeah. speaking of music, you yeah. are gearing up to release your fifth studio album, Lover's Rock, oh, which so is excited. entirely reggae. Yeah. And for those who don't know, your roots are in Senegal and Grenada. Yes. Shout out to Grenada. <laughs> and um, all, it's amazing. Yeah. What inspired you to dedicate an entire album to your West Indian roots? Well, I went to like um, I went to work on my next album. I kind of like 
float towards albums more than I just decide I'm going to do this, mm -hmm. you know. And all the records that I loved kept sounding African and, and West Indian and and reggae and Afro beats and soca mm -hmm. essentially. And so I I kept making these records that sounded like the records that I was in love with. I was in the space of, and you know, cut to six years later because I started working on it two albums ago. Um, we're here. Yes, we're here. So, yeah. And speaking of the album, the title is Lovers Rock, and you mm. said that your parents inspired the album yes. title. Yes, yes, yes. What about their love and their union inspired you musically? Well, it was just it's just a very unique union, but it's something that a lot of people have been through. Mm -hmm. As in, like, they got together, they had me, my two sisters, they broke up. Um, three years later, they got back together when I was 23, oh, and wow. they got married when I was 33. So it's been like a very kind of like a love conquers all scenario, but also like a how did how did you find each other yeah. <laughs> again scenario, you know? Uh, I just wanted to celebrate that, but also it's kind of a personal reflection on, um, you know, just me evolving as a woman and mm -hmm. you know realizing that I'm not my parents and yeah. I have to do the things that my parents did. Evolution. Evolution. Yeah, absolutely. It's so it. do you think dance hall reggae music is going to make a comeback? It's already making a yeah. comeback. Yes. I think you're here, here with it. Yeah, I think we're here with it. Um, I'm just happy to be able to contribute to the culture in a great way. You know, mm -hmm. something that's kind of, um, you know, just real and heavy and 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 something that I, is is true to the format. You know, mm -hmm. true to all the formats and not like sort of watered down or just you know a touch of reggae. It's yeah. real reggae. It's real Afro beats. It's real soca. You know, and all the features and all the people that are on it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, come from a very specific background in the genres. Yeah, so. absolutely. And now uh, it's been ten years since your iconic record, American Boy, featuring Kanye West, a classic. At the time, did you have any idea how big and huge, massive record it would be? Um, no, I think I realized it was big when I was in the middle of Capri. I want to say Casual. Capri. <laughs> just you know. Regular day. <laughs> um, just out there and I was I think I went to do like a film festival mm. and I think I sung the song or they played the song on repeat for about five, six hours wow. at this one bar and wanted me to sing it yeah. on repeat mm -hmm. for five, six hours. Did you do it? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> there was alcohol involved, okay. guys. Um, but it was very much like Oh my goodness! Yeah. This is nuts. Wow. You know, so. What was it like working with Kanye? Oh, cool. He, you know, it was it was so long ago. I can barely remember. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, no, it was so long ago. But he he's been family for a very long time, so it's um it was easy. Mm -hmm. You know, he's still to me he's still kind of the same core person. Yeah. Um, and at the time he just came in and just did his thing and freestyled and we worked on, you know, he worked on. He asked me what he would say in whatever scenario and. Uh, in as far as the drinks, he's like, well, what kind of drinks are going on in London? I was like, uh, Ribena. <laughs> <laughs> and he put that in there. Yeah. Everyone in London was like, he said Ribena. <laughs> it was the whole thing. So, um, yeah, it was just cool. It was just good vibes. And then we went to the club. Oh, awesome. Club with Kanye. So you work with Kanye and a slew of other artists. Is there yeah. anyone in the industry uh, that you want to work with that you haven't had a chance to yet? Oh, my goodness. That's hard. I mean, like, the peak would be Sade, wouldn't it? Like, that would be like... Amazing. Oh, Shade awesome. would be probably the most. Shade. Yeah. Fun. When she comes out of hiding, when she yes. comes out of relaxing, oh. I understand. Shade, I'm ready for you when you are. That would be amazing. Well, Shade, I still want to work with you. Ready when you Speak are. Speak into the universe. Well, well, <laughs> amazing. Where we at? Shade. Right. Well, outside of performing and being an amazing artist, yeah. you also are an actor, actress. Thank you. you voice the iconic, amazing character of Garnett on Steven, U Thank Steven you. Universe Thank and Cartoon you. Network. Yeah. And so we have a question from um, our awesome BuzzFeed News Deputy World News Editor, Hayes mm -hmm. Brown. His question is This last season had a huge twist where they revealed the real identity of Rose Quartz. <laughs> How long have they been planning this? What? And does Rebecca Sugar tell you the tea ages ago? Or did you find out at the table read? I was way. Mm, Hayes? Um, <laughs> this is glorious. Is this war? <laughs> this, this is a lovely cushion. I can't. There's no gems I can draw. Okay. Guys, I can't. No, Sorry, it's, it's, it's real. It's real NDA right, right now. Okay. Like, I can't. Yeah, the NDA, I was online. We don't speak about it. I, I don't retain it. I do not do anything. Like, when you find out about it is when you find out about it. And essentially, but I can say this, mm -hmm. not to answer your question at all, sir. Um, <laughs> we have a movie coming. <laughs> That's Ooh, not real tea. Wow. People Steven Universe the movie. Yeah, Steven Universe the movie. They oh, announced amazing. it at um, the Comic-Con um, this past summer, um, a few weeks ago and people are excited. It's a good one. Awesome. Well, sorry, Hayes, can't answer your question. Uh, Anywho, so there's been amazing guest stars on the show, Amy Sedaris and Nicki right. Minaj. Has yeah. there been anyone of a huge caliber that you were shocked that it's like the show? Um, 
You know, I think it was Patty Lepone that oh, wow. blew us all away. We were all there like, <laughs> you know, like we've never, none of us were in the studio with her. We okay. were all just there like, we were on the same episode. Oh my God. Wow. We were on the same show. <laughs> You know, yeah. she's a Broadway legend. She's like, she just like breeds Broadway. Yeah. She's the goddess. So Amazing. it was kind of cool that she would do this for us. Oh, iconic. Yeah. Well, since you have been, you were born in the UK and you've been living in the US for a while now, we want to play a game with you called the US versus UK. Okay. We really thought about that name. Oh, we put some thought into it. It's <laughs> a real thought. <laughs> okay, so we're going to give you these two paddles. Okay. And you're going to put up the country that you think fits oh, best. Goodness. Okay, you ready? I think so. Okay. okay. First up, we have Idris Elba. Or Denzel Washington. Oh, that's <laughs> both. You both. Can't choose. Come on, man. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Oh, I mean, go. I can't choose either. It's hard to choose. Both. All right, next up, Adele or Beyonce. Ah, ah, I Beyonce. American <laughs> boy. Queen B. Who did that? <laughs> that's hilarious. B. Queen B. Yes, Queen B. All day. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Houston. Okay, mm -hmm. fish and chips. Or cheeseburger and fry. Ah, uh, fish and chips. Yes. Oh, I love fish and chips. It's <laughs> <laughs> <This is> amazing. <laughs> shout out to whoever's doing the music. It's yes. glorious, yes, by the way. Out. It's glorious. All right. <laughs> Next up, the crown or insecure? Insecure. The American boy. Are you watching the season? Oh yes. So good. So good. Lisa is the queen. She's amazing. Amazing. She was she here. Does. She's amazing. Yeah. Fascinator or baseball cap? Uh, baseball cap. The American boy. Yes. Easy. Okay. Amazing. Well, I think it's safe to say that you conquer both. <laughs> I'm a bit of both. Yes, I'm like, both. Like, well, I'm a true American. Yes, you're a true case. American. Right. UK, you can, you're versatile. Exactly. I'm, I'm like, I'm, we I'm love Anglo. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> well, still, thank you so much for joining us. Thank Congratulations you. on your new album. Thank you. Everyone, Lovers Rock is out on September 7th. Stay tuned for more AM to DM. a very relatable tweet from Callie. Someone with a green thumb slide into my DMs and help me keep my plants alive because I'm killing everything. Same Callie. This is Save the Day brought to you by Wendy's 4 for 4 meal and I'm here with Eliza Blank, founder of The Sill, who definitely has a green thumb. Eliza, thank you so much for coming on to talk about one of everyone's favorite topics, <laughs> plants. Yes, we're here. So obviously I would love to have a ton of fresh plants in my apartment, but it can be a little expensive. So how would I know as a plant novice how I can fit plants into my budget and what are some low budget plants? Sure, well plants definitely don't have to break the bank. I will tell you this, you can spend $100 on a throw pillow, you can get a whole plant haul for the same amount. So we have a lot of tips for people about what types of plants to focus on if they're on a budget. But realistically you should be focused on finding the right plant for your home such that you can take care of it and then you know that you've made a lifelong investment. So obviously, we all have different living spaces. We all have different amounts of direct sunlight and you obviously brought some plants here with you, which yes. are so cute, I absolutely love. So let's go through this. Like for what, for example, would be a good living space if I wanted to get this plant? And can you tell me what it is? Cause I don't sure. know. Sure, <laughs> this is a pilea. Um, you wanna have medium to bright light for it, nothing crazy, so it is very adaptable. The reason why we chose to bring this plant is you can actually propagate it from some of the babies that it shoots off on the sides. And so it's really budget friendly because you'll buy one plant and you'll end up with a dozen. Oh wow, so you can actually take its little stems and make a bunch of different plants out of it. Exactly, exactly. I don't know why that's blowing my mind. That's kind of how uh, life works. Absolutely, absolutely. That's true of a lot of plants. So tell me about these other ones too. Sure, so this is a pothos plant. This is also fantastic because you can propagate this through cuttings. So if you can see how it trails here, you can literally cut it um, at the stem and propagate it in water and then replant it. So another plant that kind of keeps on giving. That's this so cool. is perfect for a beginner, it's perfect for low light, it's one of the most indestructible plants that you can have. Um, on your left you have a beautiful. bird's nest fern. So a bird's nest fern is wonderful because it creates a lot of volume. So it kind of gives the appearance of something that's bigger than it is. Um, also very cost effective, definitely likes more humidity, it is a fern, um, and brighter light. So cool. But great for instance for a bathroom if you have a window in your bathroom. So that's one of our all-time favorites too. 
Um, and then over here we have air plants. So air plants are fantastic because you kind of get the novelty of something different. So air plants actually aren't rooted in soil. Oh. So you can actually, you can display them like any other plant or you could literally put them on the table. Um, and these are fun because you can get them in all sizes. So another really inexpensive option. How do they stay alive without soil? So they don't need soil. They get all their nutrients from just directly the air and water. So you're going to miss them once a day, depending on the temperature. Um, or you would soak them in a bowl once a week. You are blowing my <laughs> mind right now. So let's say I really wanted to get a big like tree or a fern or something for my current apartment, but mm -hmm. I was too nervous to get a real one, so I ended up buying a fake one. <laughs> um, we all saw those large fiddle leaf fig trees were all over Instagram. I know a lot of people had them and they died. How, is there something like that that maybe is a little easier to maintain or is it actually easy to maintain and we're just all afraid and maybe we should just go for it? So a ficus tree, which is a fiddle leaf fig tree, is very finicky. So we actually try and steer people clear of it unless they have the perfect conditions for it. Otherwise, you are making a big investment that you may lose. Um, what we do recommend as an alternative is a plant like a dracaena, which still has a tree-like structure, but can definitely adapt to lower light levels and a little bit more neglect. All right, we have a tweet here from Alyssa, a plant wannabe. My inability to keep a basil plant alive haunts me. <laughs> so I actually have a yard now in my house, which okay. I know is a huge rarity for New York. So I am very gung-ho, okay, I need to grow things. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's really hard to keep things alive, especially in the city. Are there any herbs that are easy to grow at home? Mm -hmm. Well, herbs like a lot of light and they do need frequent watering. So if you're someone who travels a lot, I think it's just about setting expectations. Try and use your basil or your herbs as frequently as you can so you're getting the use out of them and getting your money out of them, but they're not gonna last forever. But basil, uh, rosemary, mint, those are all great herbs to have in your kitchen. All right, so if you had to recommend out of all of these beautiful plants, one, let's say for a beginner who is uh, self-conscious about their <laughs> plant maintaining ability, what would it be? It would definitely be the pothos. It's inexpensive, it's easy, you can propagate it, it doesn't need a lot of light, it is very forgiving if you forget to water it, uh, and it has this lovely like trailing effect, so you can put it like on a bookshelf, away from your cat, for instance, so it's very versatile. Eliza, thank you so much. Yeah, I am so inspired by all these beautiful plants, I think I'm just gonna go buy a ton of plants and <laughs> fill my house with plants, and I, I think I can give them a life, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I think you can. Yeah, thanks so much. Up next, we're talking about crazy rich Asians. Don't go away. Well, this weekend, the film Crazy Rich Asians made $34 million at the box office. And in addition to being a delightful romantic comedy featuring beautiful sets and costumes, it's also the first Hollywood studio movie in 25 years to have an all-Asian cast. Joining me now to talk about what that means to her is the Asian Voices Editor at HuffPost, Kimberly Yam. Kimberly, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. Now, I know this because Twitter sent me the details yesterday. You have the most retweeted uh, tweet on yeah. this movie at the moment. I think you're at about 120,000 retweets at the I'm, moment. I'm a little scared of the internet right now, so I, I feel like I just threw it in the fire and ran away for the rest of the weekend. Well, it clearly, it clearly <laughs> resonated yeah, with people. It, it was a beautiful thread. Uh, about what the film means to you and, and being Chinese. Yeah. And I want you to just, if you would, read just the first, the first uh, tweet in this thread for us. Absolutely. Um, you're eight years old. Your third grade class orders Chinese food and your father delivers it. You are so excited to see your pops in school. He's your hero. But apparently other kids don't think he's so cool. They laugh at him and mimic his accent. You don't want to be Chinese anymore. You continued through that thread through some beautiful moments, some very sad moments in your life, yeah. and how you then went to college and found your identity mm -hmm. again. Uh, and you ended it with yourself in this theater as you were crying watching this film. Can you talk me through what it was like to sit in that theater? Yeah, I mean, I think what a lot of us don't 
really talk about when we say representation matters is, mm -hmm. is really why, you know? And I think because a lot of us don't see ourselves reflected on screen mm -hmm. and we kind of only have these really crappy tropes to go off yeah. of, like these nerdy, stereotypical Asians that we've seen for so long, yeah. um, you don't get this, um, you know, this depth of what your community can look like. So when, you know, going to the theater and seeing a cast that is so full of so many different types of yeah. Asians, it is an emotional thing because you realize we can just be ourselves in our own right. It's not, no one's in a box, no one's a trope, mm -hmm. you know, there's just a diversity of personalities and experiences yeah. reflected there. Yeah, tell me about this, uh, you said in the thread in, at your college and you, as you found yourself and as you found your identity, what, what, what helped you do that? Yeah, I mean, I think that when, you know, when there's nothing on screen and then mm -hmm. your only references to your race are kind of these um, these these racist experiences, yeah. you just feel so poorly about yourself and you feel that, you know, the society has put you in this box and you don't like this box. Mm -hmm. So you think that you need to shed your identity, shed your heritage, all of that. Um, and then when I went to college, I realized, you know, there are people who really really took pride in themselves mm -hmm. and they didn't look like the that nerdy you know like long duck dong they didn't look like that on screen there were cool Asians and party Asians and smart Asians and some nerdy Asians who were super funny and still not this like two-dimensional yeah. thing that we see all the time yeah. um, and so you know when I realized I had been hiding and just you know, avoiding so yeah. much of my identity, I realized, you know, it's because of what society has told me for yeah. so long. That's not reality, but that's just what we've seen for so yeah. long. Uh, I can see your tattoo here. You started yeah. the thread with this photo of the tattoo. What does it mean yeah. and why did you get it? So this is my dad's uh, family name. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's just, we all know tattoos are forever. Yes, they are, uh, <laughs> as yeah. my mom tells me. <laughs> yeah, don't screw it up. Yeah. Um, so. I wanted something very, very permanent. Yeah. I wanted my parents to know, you know, this is this is my heritage. It's not going away. Mm -hmm. I'm. It's here to stay. Yeah. It's forever. No one's taking it away from me again. Um, Pops, I'm not taking another dude's name. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I just wanted this for myself yeah. and it's there, it's permanent, it's forever. Don't worry guys, I have a tattoo for my mom too. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, you know, gotta love them both. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I just wanted something that uh, would show sure. the world that there's just nothing is going to put me back in that place that I was yeah. before. Can I ask, uh, your parents, have they seen the movie? What did they think? I don't know if they've seen the movie yet. They but clearly have to, don't they? Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. mean, they better, you know, support diverse media friends. Right. Um, <laughs> what do you, do you, yeah. and do you think that they would take away the same things that you took away from it? Yeah, I think they would be just shocked, um, you know, just to see Asians in these yeah. lead roles. I remember one of the last movies I saw with my dad, it was like a long time ago. I feel like it was Men in Black 3, and we're a Chinese restaurant family, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so we, my dad gets off work kind of late, mm -hmm. he works so hard, and so, you know, it's he doesn't get a lot of opportunities to go to the movies, but this one time, uh, I think, like, the Chinese restaurant dude ended up being an alien or some evil thing that cooks, like, some, you know, like, questionable yeah. food, which is another, you know, stereotype yeah. about Chinese restaurants. And I remember leaving the theater, and this guy, one of my dad's customers, goes like, Kit, that's you! And I was like, oh my god. No, no, that's not that's not my pop. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, that was like one of our last experiences, uh, and I, I mean, it wasn't that happy. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they would have a very positive Good. reaction just to see, you know, a diverse. Um, cast of characters yeah. that are Asian. We said at the top this has done phenomenal numbers uh, for Hollywood right. and it's clearly, it feels like a, a cultural turning point, right? Like, where, where do you hope Hollywood goes from here? Yeah, so I do think that it would be wrong to say that, you know, Crazy Rich Asians solved racism in Hollywood. I mean, not too long ago, um, Kevin Kwan, the author, yeah. was asked to reimagine that leading role uh, in a movie called Crazy Rich Asians um, with a white with a yes. white lead, and that this. blows yeah. my mind. How awkward would that be? Yes. Um, it takes a lot of gore for that movie studio yeah. producer, right, to ask that. Yeah. yeah. 
But yeah, you, yeah, you feel like there's, it, it hasn't solved racism, but it still feels like there's sort of a big shift, at least culturally, that is right. a discussion, right? Yeah, I think there's definitely a discussion, and I think that this is a great jumping off point. I hope Hollywood sees that this movie is profitable. And yeah. again, we've seen this in the past. Studies show time after time, movies with more diverse casts bring in much more profit than an yeah. all-white cast. And so this is just further proof. Yeah. You know, and that, you know, I think uh, another reason why that this is such a big deal is Asians are so often stereotyped as uh, expressionless. This is mm -hmm. actually something a casting director told sociologist Nancy Wong Yuen is that we are difficult to cast because we just don't, you know, we don't have emotion apparently. Um, and that is not true. And I think that this movie really, there, is a lot of emotion. It's a rom-com, but yeah. there are also, you know, sad moments and all this stuff. Uh, and it also shows emotion through a non-Western lens. And I think that that's just an important thing for all audiences to see. Well, Amen, it's a great film and your take on it, your thread was so beautiful and so moving. And yeah. it honestly deserves to be the most retweeted thread about this movie because it really, you like cut to the emotion of all of it. So thank, thank you, you so for your beautiful Thanks words, Kimberly. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us and sharing. Up next, we're reading your tweet. So stay tuned. Well, welcome back. Uh, we have a friend joining us. Who is Guys, this? I'm a mother. <laughs> okay, I'm going to water it with this special Fiji water. Okay, a, tiny, a tiny bit. Now. There's water going all over <laughs> the uh, we'll clean that up later. I'm a great uh, mother. There's, uh, Ignore okay. that part. We've made a mess. Uh, what do you, you did tweet suggestions for names. Do you have yeah, any ideas? I need I need uh, AMCDM viewers to help me name this plant. David, what what, what kind of plant is it again? I Were you paying attention? Don't remember. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's uh, a green plant. Well, I suggested the name in honor of our senator guest today, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. We call this uh, Sheldon Greenhouse. I, feel I, like I do like name. that. We could call him Shelly. Yeah, Shelly. There we go. I wonder if the senator likes that nickname. That's a that's a that's an option. Anyway, yeah, let's read some tweets. All right. Well, we asked for some of your favorite moments from the VMAs. Christian says, Ja Rule making an appearance in public for the first time since 2003 was the highlight of my <laughs> week. Yeah, we didn't talk about Ja Rule. I love Ja Rule. Okay, I think that's maybe a bit of hyperbole since 2003, but yes, yeah. I mean, I, he has been yes, in public. It was Let's a good, real. it was a good moment. Here's another yeah. one. Latria also told us her favorite part of the VMAs. My favorite part of the VMAs last night was not watching. Okay, well, that's a mood. When I first read that tweet, I thought she was saying not watching AM to DM. Yeah, and I was rude. like, ouch. No, no, no. But no, we love, we, we got what you were saying. Where you are watching us. Fair enough. So, very good. Uh, and Kirsten Baptiste does not want any Leo slander. Leos are not like Madonna. Madonna is not like Madonna. I'm Madonna like, is like Madonna. I'm a Leo <laughs> cusp. I don't know. I, so I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm not a Leo, but I'm right on the verge. Okay, I'm a non-believer in star signs, so sorry. Thank you to our guests, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. We've got Greenhouse here. Estelle Chantal Follins, Maya Ward, Eliza Blank, and Kimberly Yam for joining us today. It was a beautiful show. We will see you back here tomorrow for more fun. Bye. 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 <laughs>